The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hello and welcome to the quarterly updates where our active portfolio managers share their thoughts on the markets and their funds. I'm John Cavolis and I'm an investment strategist here at Natixis. Today I'm joined by Gretchen Amidon, an investment director of the Loomis Sales Global Allocation Fund. The fund has posted strong annualized returns over the past 5, 10, and 15-year time periods and continues to rank within the top quartile of Morningstar's world allocation category. Gretchen, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So turning to our question portion, um, I'd like to start with the third quarter. So the third quarter was a challenging quarter for the strategy. Um, Would you mind walking us through the top contributors and detractors for the global allocation portfolio? Sure. Happy to do that. We'll start with equities. The three largest contributors in equities were Zions Bank, Alphabet, and Airbnb. Zions Bank is a regional bank. They've got a strong client base in SMEs or small to mid-sized businesses in the western part of the U.S. Their shares recovered as the regional banking crisis has been receding. The company also announced second quarter results, which showed that net interest margins where they had had experienced some pressure uh, had been easing uh, and also relatively stable credit quality. On Alphabet, shares outperformed on the back of better than expected second quarter results and that was driven by strength in their core search business. Uh, the stock earlier in the year did lag as investors were concerned that Alphabet was a bit behind its competitors in generative AI. Airbnb, they reported solid second quarter earnings. The company highlighted very strong travel demand, there was growth in supply, and there was also progress in product innovation, uh, both in streamlining the listing process as well as better pricing tools. If we turn to fixed income, credit positioning was a top contributor. In particular, allocations to the communications, consumer non-cyclical, and financial other industries. Within communications, cable satellite providers, CSC, and DISH networks uh, that were particularly strong in consumer non-cyclical, Teva Pharmaceutical, and Teladoc Health were top drivers. In the financial other, holdings of specialty finance companies, Icon Enterprises, contributed to performance. Although yield curve exposure overall detracted from performance, allocations to the Polish Lottie, British Pound Sterling, and Brazilian Real pay markets contributed to performance in the quarter. If we look at detractors in equities, the three largest were ASML, LVMH, and S&P Global. ASML is a leader in photolithography, so that is the equipment which is used uh, to etch a pattern, uses a light source to etch a pattern onto a silicon wafer. Uh, They're distinctly positioned in EUV or extreme ultraviolet, that is a next generation technology, which is needed as chip makers continue to make chips smaller while maintaining their power. Shares retreated in the quarter after a period of a long outperformance. LVMH, a well-known luxury goods company, 
uh, also underperformed. Uh, the company reported a positive second quarter earnings uh, in late July. How the, however, results were only slightly better than expectations, uh, and that pressured shares. S&P Global is a financial data company, which includes S&P bond ratings, as well as the S&P Dow Jones indices. Shares underperformed following slightly disappointing second quarter earnings. Results showed some cost pressures and revenues that were a bit weaker than expected given an improving macro backdrop. In terms of the detractors in the fixed income space, uh, yield curve exposure detracted from performance, in particular allocation to U.S. dollar and euro pay markets. Uh, allocations in U.S. dollar pay markets, particularly in the five- and ten-year tenors, also held back performance. And lastly, currency allocation detracted from performance, in particular allocations to the euro, Japanese yen, and British pound sterling, uh, as these currencies lost ground against the U.S. dollar. Now that we've recapped our performance drivers, um, I'd like to turn our attention to current portfolio allocations. Um, What does the current asset allocation look like, and were there any changes worth mentioning to the strategy during the third quarter? Sure. So the current allocation is roughly the same that it was in the prior quarter. So 68% in global equities, about 17% in non-U.S. fixed income, and then 15% in U.S. fixed income. Uh, We just made one small capital shift uh, from non-U.S. to U.S. fixed income, and that was sub uh, 100 basis points. And of that asset allocation, what does the current geographic allocation look like for the fund today? Has it changed over the past quarter? Uh, no, that has not materially changed either. So we are just over 70% in North America, about 15% in Europe, just under 10% in emerging markets, and about 5% in developed Asia. And of course, that is all driven by our bottom-up investment process. Now looking ahead forward, um, has the team funded any new positions in the strategy? Um, Did you sell any securities during the quarter? Yes, so we initiated in two names, uh, and and then I'll talk about a few of the sales that we had as well. Uh, so O'Reilly Automotive, uh, I think they're a fairly well-known company. They sell aftermarket automotive parts uh, to both the do-it-yourself uh, person as well as professional service providers or, or mechanics. Uh, it's a company that has an extensive store and distribution network uh, with over 5,500 stores. Uh, we believe its scale creates a cost advantage relative to smaller auto part retailers. It also has the ability to source hard-to-find parts quickly, which of course is critical for its professional service customers. London Stock Exchange was another name we initiated in, and for those of you that have followed the strategy for a while, this is a name that we have owned in the past. Uh, With the company's acquisition of Refinitiv, which it completed in 2021, its data analytics segment now accounts for approximately two-thirds of its overall business. And we believe LSE is well-positioned in high-growth markets as data becomes significantly more valuable given the increased presence of AI, which, of course, requires high-quality data. 
in fixed income, there are no outright new positions, but we did add secondary shares of various maturity of Broadcom Bonds, a global tech company, and we also added secondary shares of Glencore's 20. 33 maturity bonds. Uh, Glencore is a global diversified natural resources company. Uh, it's still generating above normal levels of EBITDA and their balance sheet remains strong. In terms of the companies that we eliminated from the portfolio, uh, it was Dassault Systems and Estee Lauder. Uh, Dassault Systems is a design and simulation software company. We eliminated that position as we found more attractive opportunities elsewhere in the portfolio. We also eliminated Estee Lauder, again, probably a fairly well-known company, Prestige Beauty Products. Uh, we had some concerns about this company's ability to continue to grow its intrinsic value. There had been a fairly significant erosion of the company's earnings power due to an oversupply of inventory in the Asia-Pac region uh, and also a slowdown in developed markets, uh, and that left us with limited ability to forecast a path to recovery for the company. In fixed income, we reduced our allocation in TSMC Arizona, Canadian Pacific Railway, and Abu Dhabi Crude Oil Pipeline. All sales were done to build liquidity for the portfolio. Looking ahead to the rest of the year, are there any opportunities within equities that you're particularly excited about or following closely? And how are you currently positioned within fixed income? And where are you seeing some of the best opportunities in that space? Our positioning in equities has not changed substantially. So we continue to find a lot of opportunities we like in the technology space. Uh, and this spans semiconductor manufacturing and equipment. So some of the names that we just spoke about, like ASML. Uh, we also have exposure to software as well as consulting companies. Uh, such as Accenture, uh, as well as Nomura Research. Uh, I'd say that we have fairly select exposure to consumer names. So where we feel consumer companies are uniquely positioned, uh, and that could be either strong brands or direct-to-consumer opportunities uh, or physical retailers, so long as we foresee that they have a differentiated value offering. Uh, within financials, our holdings uh, have leading market positions in retail and commercial banking, payment processing, asset management, and investment banking. Uh, and then lastly, we're also finding opportunities in industrials. We're focused on companies that have strong pricing power by offering critical components, tools, and services. In terms of uh, the exposure that we have in fixed income, Currently, our core view is the global economy remains in a vulnerable position and therefore still at risk of entering a downturn. We believe credit spreads remain too tight and continue to manage the portfolio down in risk uh, with modest credit beta overweight. We are buying more defensive issuers and industries while reducing higher beta holdings. Overall, we're focused on credits that we believe can weather a slowdown uh, or continue to benefit from the transition of goods to services spending. Our favored risk-adjusted industry overweights include banking and consumer non-cyclical at, at this juncture. 
Lastly, would you mind spending a few minutes with us today discussing the team's macro outlook for the rest of 2023, potentially highlighting your base case for interest rates, inflation, the U.S. dollar? Consensus global growth forecasts have gradually improved since the beginning of the year. Uh, Many economies have been more resilient than expected. Um, Although consensus estimates have been revised upwards, we continue to believe the global growth outlook remains challenged. Uh, In our view, softer leading economic indicators and tighter financial conditions still point to a downturn. We see the labor market cooling and excess savings are being drawn down. Specifically with interest rates, the path to rate cuts remains difficult to forecast in terms of timing. If inflation remains sticky and above the Fed's target, the Fed could prioritize fighting inflation over limiting unemployment. Consequently, we could see tighter policy for longer despite weak economic growth and layoffs. Meanwhile, if shelter inflation surprises to the downside, then we could see an accelerated pace of cuts. In terms of uh, inflation, headline inflation appears to have peaked in major economies like the U.S. and Europe, but questions remain regarding the speed of deceleration moving forward. Uh, In the euro area, headline inflation has been revised up, reflecting the rise in oil prices, but core inflation pressure has begun to ease. In the U.K., we're seeing inflation being quite persistent. Broadly speaking, the the dynamic of persistent inflation and a slow growth environment means the risk of further tightening, and ultimately, a policy mistake remains elevated. Uh, And just lastly, within emerging markets, the pace of disinflation, we expect it to slow going forward. And then just lastly, I'll touch on the U.S. dollar. Uh, We do expect an environment of weak global growth, as we mentioned, and that should drive risk aversion, a dynamic that typically supports the U.S. dollar. Um, As such, we are maintaining a bias to be overweight the U.S. dollar on the expectation that it will be a beneficiary in in a risk-off environment. Um, We've covered a lot today in our conversation. Do you have any final comments or anything you think I've missed that you'd like to leave for the listeners today? No, I think we covered it in terms of the quarterly performance and and positioning. I would just um, say that we continue in this strategy to focus on finding the best ideas across the capital structure. Uh, As a reminder, in equities, we invest in a concentrated group of names, somewhere around 40 stocks in this portfolio. And we think of our fixed income holdings as a way to generate alpha, not just simply diversification. Thank you again, Gretchen, for all your insights today. We appreciate you taking the time and look forward to talking to you again next quarter. Thank you. Important information. Standard performance as a percentage for Loomis Sales Global Allocation Fund Class Y shares as of September 30th, 2023. Three months. Negative 3.03. Year to date. 9.13. One year. 19.00. Three years. 1.27. Five years. 4.98. Ten years. 6.72. 30-day SEC yield. Y. Subsidized equals 2.24%. 30-day SEC yield. Y. Unsubsidized equals 2.24%. Performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Total return and 
value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold. Current performance may be lower or higher than quoted. For most recent month-end performance, visit im.natixis.com. Performance for other share classes will be greater or less than shown based on differences in fees and sales charges. Performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized. Returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any. Top 10 holdings for the Loomis Sales Global Allocation Fund as of September 30, 2023. Alphabet, Inc. Class A, 3.3% of portfolio. Amazon.com, Inc. 3.2% of portfolio. S&P Global, Inc. 2.9% of portfolio. Mastercard, Inc. Class A, 2.9% of portfolio. Lind PLC, 2.8% of portfolio. United Health Group, Inc. 2.7% of portfolio. Accenture PLC, Class A, 2.7% of portfolio. Airbnb, Inc. Class A, 2.6% of portfolio. ASML Holding NV, 2.5% of portfolio. Atlas Coco AB, Class A, 2.4% of portfolio. Gross and net expense ratios for Class Y of the fund are 0.89% and 0.89%, respectively. As of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on January 31, 2025. When an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios and or yields may be the same. S&P 500 index is a widely recognized measure of U.S. stock market performance. It is an unmanaged index of 500 common stocks chosen for market size, liquidity, and industry group representation, among other factors. It also measures the performance of the large cap segment of the U.S. equities market, EBITDA, or earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, is a measure of a company's overall financial performance and is used as an alternative to net income in some circumstances. The European Central Bank, ECB, is the central bank responsible for monetary policy of the those European Union EU, member countries which have adopted the euro currency. This region is known as the Eurozone and currently comprises 19 members. The Bank of England BOE, is the central bank for the United Kingdom. Equity securities are volatile and can decline significantly in response to broad market and economic conditions. Fixed income securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit, interest rate, as interest rates rise bond prices usually fall, inflation and liquidity. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Below investment-grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. Currency exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Investment-grade refers to bonds rated BBBBA or higher. Ratings are determined by third-party rating agencies such as Standard & Poor's or Moody's and are an indication of a bond's credit quality. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit im.net Texas.com or call 800-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of October, 2023 and may change based on market and other conditions. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Distribution, LLC. Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales and Company, LLC are affiliated, POD 117, September, 2023, at Trax, 2100702, 231, expiration date, January 31, 2024.